The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. From the scenic city in Chattanooga, Tennessee, USA, welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast, now heard in over 100 countries around the world. Glad you are here. I'm thrilled that you've joined this movement that's spreading across the world. So this is the show where we hold space for deep and meaningful conversations with the world's foremost thought leaders, executives, experts, and influencers to discuss the powerhouse business principles of love and care that define today's best leaders and company cultures. And we do it so that we can help you transform your workplaces, create business impact, and yes, generate profits, as well as make the world a better place. And Love in Action, in the context of today's episode, is about vision, specifically how having a vision as a leader is critical to success. I'm going to start with this, a direct quote from a new book written by today's guest. Here it is. Vision is the essential ingredient for successful leadership. There's no substitute. Without it, influence fades along with the crowds. Unless you as a leader have a clear picture of the destination where you want your company to be in three to five years, you've got nothing that will inspire people to follow you. Woo! I love the truth of that statement written by my guest today, and that is none other than Michael Hyatt. Michael is here to explain to us how we as leaders can design an irresistible vision for our organizations and rally our teams to achieve it. And you know, even if you're a leader with a vision in place or you think you have one, you're going to be surprised to see how Michael's model can help you go further and faster. And I can't wait to hear it. His new book is called, what else? The Vision-Driven Leader, 10 Questions to Focus Your Efforts, Energize Your Team, and Scale Your Business, which comes not only from Michael's 40 years of experience as an entrepreneur and executive, but also he throws in insights from organizational science and psychology. If you've never heard of Michael Hyatt, I would gently let you off the hook right now. <laughs> the rest of us know him as the chief executive officer and founder of Michael Hyatt and Company. And you may remember him as the former chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, a $250 million publishing company with over 700 employees. And now under his leadership, Michael Hyatt and Company has been featured in the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing companies in America for not one, not two, but three years in a row. He's also the author of several New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today best-selling books, including Platform, Living Forward, Your Best Year Ever, Free to Focus in his newest book, which is why he's here, the vision-driven leader. Welcome, Michael, to the Love in Action podcast. Thanks, Marcel. Good to be with you. Yeah, likewise. You know, we usually start with a gratitude moment and we're living in extraordinary times. You know, a lot of people are living in uncertainty and fear. So give us some hope here. What are you grateful for these days and what should we kind of be grateful for as well? 
You know, I think in moments of crisis, our character is proven. And I think that one of the opportunities that leaders are having right now is to make an incredible difference in the communities that they lead. Because people are more desperate than ever for leadership, especially for vision. And I like to talk in terms of the Stockdale paradox. You remember that from Good to Great from Jim Collins' book, where Admiral Stockdale said that the people that survived those POW camps in Vietnam were people that were willing to face the most brutal facts of their current reality. And all of us are being forced to do that right now, but also it held an unwavering faith that they would prevail in the end. And I think that's the word that leaders need today. We're going to get through this. We're going to be better for it. We're going to be stronger as long as we apply ourselves. Don't shrink back in fear, but use this as an opportunity to serve. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you for that. So for those of us not familiar with your work, what's the reason you get up in the morning? I mean, what's your why? Yeah, my big why is that I want to help people win at work and succeed at life, particularly high achievers who feel overwhelmed. So that's my mission as a company. That's my mission as an individual. It had to start with me and now the 40 people in my company. That's why we all get out of work or get up to go to work, I should say. So the idea there is that we want to win at work and that's important but it's not enough. Not if we do that at the expense of our health, our families, and the people that we love. And so we want to do both. We want to win at work and succeed at life. We think it's possible. We think it's possible to achieve more by doing less, as long as you've got a vision and clarity about the destination you're trying to go. Yeah. Okay. Let's dive into this book, Michael. So a lot of people think they have a vision. Tell us the difference that having a clear vision makes in the success of a leader? What, what does it really do for us? Yeah, you know, I've heard for all my career that you need to have a vision. The problem is there's just not a lot of help out there. You know, this is not something that's taught in business school. I couldn't find a single business school that had a course on vision. It's not something that's even written about much. You know, if you look on Amazon, there are not many books, a couple of books on vision. And most people think that it's something that you've got to be clairvoyant or you've got to be you know, somehow have a special charisma to do. But I say, no, it's really within the possibility for all of us. And it does make such a huge difference. First of all, a clear vision gives you confidence. So if you're leading a team, it implies that you're on a journey, right? Yeah. And you're going somewhere. And if you're not sure about the destination, that shows up in your leadership as hesitancy or self-doubt. So confidence is one of the major differences that it makes. Second, A clear vision accelerates momentum. It's a whole lot easier and faster to build something when you've taken the time to define the win and paint a clear picture of what it looks like when it's done. And this is what Dr. Stephen Covey calls, of course, begin with the end in mind. And the vision is the ultimate version of that. Third, a clear vision provides you with a filter for differentiating between opportunities and distractions. So in my experience, the more successful you become, the more important this is. Why? Because success attracts opportunities. But many of what comes to us, much of what comes to us, is merely distraction masquerading as opportunity. But without a filter, a clear vision, you can't tell the difference. Mm. Fourth, a clear vision drives execution, reduces overwhelm. How so? Well, all of us have got more to do than we can do. But not all projects or tasks are created equal. Some contribute to the vision, Others are just fake work or busy work. And a clear vision gets you aligned, your entire organization around that vision and make sure that you're driving towards the things that ultimately matter in terms of your organization's success. And fifth, and I'll just conclude with this, 
A clear vision provides a means by which you can attract the right teammates and frankly, repel the wrong ones. People are drawn to clear vision. Not everybody's going to be drawn to your particular vision, and that's okay because you only want the people that are willing to create the future that you envision. Okay. So are those the five steps of, of developing and delivering what you call a vision script, or is that something else? Uh, no, that's just basically the difference that it makes. Okay, that's kind so of the why behind why you need it. Okay, good. So let's jump into the vision script then, which will define really uh, the future of basically it's a framework is what you did. You, it is. You have five steps to developing and delivering this vision script. Walk us through that. Okay. So let me just first describe what I mean when I talk about a vision. Yeah. Because there's a lot of confusion about this. A lot of people think, well, it's, you know, it's a mission statement. No, it's not a mission statement. A mission and vision are very different. Mission is about your purpose. It answers the question, why? Vision is about your destination and it answers the question, what? Strategy is about how you get to the destination and it answers the question, how? So vision, strategy, mission, and even core values, you know, what you're going to become in the process of yeah. the journey or another thing altogether. But I define vision as this. It's a clear, inspiring, practical, and attractive picture of your organization's future. And it has to be superior to the present. It's got to be written down. It's typically three to five pages in length. And it's going to be written in the present tense as though it's actually already achieved. Now, the reason that that's important is because most of us have had to labor under sort of the idea that we got to come up with this super clever, super brief kind of slogan that we can put on a coffee mug or a t-shirt. And most of us think, I'm not that clever. I can't do it. I can't get into a single statement everything that I want my organization to become. Well, it's really a bad idea. There are only a few people that can pull that off. And honestly, I only know of a couple in my entire experience in 40 plus years of my career that could do that. And even that, then it was lacking. What I'm looking for is something more robust, a vision script. And that's the language I use in the book. Mm. But a vision script is much more robust and it's broken down into four sections. So first of all, there's a section about your team. What's the future of your team? It's got to start with the team because your team, those are the people that are going to help you bring this vision of a bigger, better future into reality. Then the vision of your products. What is it that you're in business to produce? Maybe it's a product, maybe it's a service, but what do you envision as the future of your products? Third component is your marketing. What's the future of your marketing? How do you go to market? How do you reach your customers? How do you connect with them? And then the final part of the vision script is about impact. What's sort of the objective, measurable results that your organization has on the world, in your community, and so forth? So those are the four parts of the vision script. Okay. So this is a good segue to talk about the tool you've developed, right? There's a vision scripter is what you call it. Where can people find it? Yeah, so there's a tool that we've got and people can find this. In fact, we created this page specifically for you, but mm. it's visiondrivenleader.com slash core. And this has not only a bunch of bonuses, but that vision scripter tool. So this is an opportunity for you to buy the book anywhere you want. You don't have to buy it off this website, buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever better books are sold. And right now, frankly, it's probably going to be an online source, right? Yeah. Come back with the receipt, enter the number in here, and you'll get a bunch of bonuses, including the vision scripter tool, which will take you by the hand and walk you through the process of creating a vision. It will ask you the questions, give you an opportunity to basically be interviewed almost with artificial intelligence 
so that you could respond to that. And when you get done, you're going to be like 95% toward being finished with the vision script. Now that's still going to need the input of your team and some other things that we'll talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to transition a little bit into the leadership part of this, but it's still applicable to the conversation around vision. And, and I want to get into the, the qualities of a vision driven leader. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, to be a vision-driven leader, and I think this is where we have to understand the difference between being a leader and a manager. Yeah. So, you know, I've heard this distinction for a long time. You know, I don't know if, you know, Seth Godin had a whole video on it where he made a big distinction. But oftentimes when it's, this distinction is made, people are sort of elevating the position of a visionary or being the leader and denigrating the position of being the operator or being the manager. The truth is they're distinct functions but both of them are necessary. Sometimes they're distinct roles. Like when I was leading Thomas Nelson Publishers, um, I was the CEO. Visioneering was really my job. But I also had a COO whose responsibility was to operate the business and execute on that vision. So the way I think about it, it's like this. Leaders create vision, or at least lead in that conversation, while managers execute vision. Leaders inspire and motivate. Managers maintain and administer. Leaders take the risk. Managers, they're there to control the risk. Leaders stay focused on the horizon while managers have their eye on short-term goals and objectives. Again, both are essential, but they're distinct. Mm, okay, let's flip the coin. What would you say are some notable qualities of somebody that is maybe deficient on the vision side of the business? Yeah, well, there's a lot of qualities that make up sort of that you know vision uh, deficit leader. But too often, they're just unwilling to envision that future. They're so caught up in the execution and, you know, the basic things that they're doing now that they can't envision a different future. And as a result of that, and this is like one of the first pitfalls of a vision deficit leader, is they're unprepared for the future. Mm. And a good example, I tell this story in the book, the story of Kodak. Kodak, believe it or not, invented digital photography in 1975. I mean, 20 years before it was a thing, 30 years before it was a thing. They could have launched it in 1992, but management couldn't imagine a future without film, so they wouldn't approve it. Mm. Apple, on the other hand, saw the opportunity, coupled that with the phone, and now, of course, everybody has an amazing uh, camera right in their pocket. So people that are vision deficit are just unprepared for the future. Another thing is there's a lot of missed opportunities. So I talk in the book about the difference between Compaq and Zappos, but a lot of missed opportunities when you don't have vision because you don't recognize opportunity when it shows up. Another big problem is chasing too many opportunities. Unless you have a vision, you don't have a filter to differentiate, like I was talking about before, between distraction and opportunity. So I had a small publishing company back in the 80s, and the company took off like a rocket. We had a New York Times bestseller with Oral Hershiser, very famous baseball pitcher. And I mean, it rocketed our company forward. The problem was, because we didn't have a vision script, all the opportunities that came to us, we just got overwhelmed with them. We said, yeah, we should do children's publishing and we should publish, you know, journals and gift books and reference books. We even did a big Bible project. All of that sunk our ship because it basically diffused our focus, it squandered our resources, and we just weren't able to move forward in a more focused kind of way. And the company actually ended up going bankrupt, not because we didn't have opportunity, 
but because we didn't have a vision by which we could filter that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Michael. So there's a lot of other things too, but those are just a few of them. I talk about six in the book. Okay. So let's, let's bring this down to the leader level who is, I mean, especially nowadays with, with what's happening around the world, they're putting out fires all over the place. They're scrambling and they're pivoting. How does having a practical vision now guide your day-to-day decisions, whether it's a 30,000 foot level or maybe down in the trenches? Well, now in the trenches nowadays is, you know, everybody's on their phones or on their laptops. Yeah. Well, we're living in a hyper distracted kind of world right now. I mean, it was already distracting, right? I mean, I wrote an entire book. My last book was called Free to Focus and basically how to achieve more by doing less. And one of the principal parts of that book was how to rid yourself of distractions and interruptions so you could focus at the tasks at hand. Well, if that was true, you know, a month ago before the coronavirus hit, it's really true now because we've got, you know, the temptation to be checking our social media feeds, to be checking our news headlines Mm. and all of that. And it creates an enormously distracting environment. It's more important than ever for leaders to be clear on their vision and to focus their people on their vision so they're not simply you know, creating sideways energy as a result of being too distracted. So one of the things that happens in a crisis is that people lose connection with that larger story, that why, that what we're building ultimately toward, because it's a lot of you know, hand-to-hand combat and a lot of daily tasks that have to be done. So it's up to the leader to sort of be refilling the vision bucket that everybody's carrying around so that they can, you know, find meaning in their work. And so they have hope for the future. So for most organizations, their long-term vision is not going to change as a result of the current crisis. For some, it will, but for most, it won't. What absolutely is changing for everybody right now, almost everybody, is strategy. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, kind of like I go uh, down and, and you're in Tennessee, so I don't know if they do this in Chattanooga, but uh, every spring, there's this mass exodus from Nashville to the Florida Panhandle, to Destin and those areas, seaside around there for people to go on spring vacations. I do that myself. I happen to do it in the fall where there's less crowds, but often I'm clear about the destination, but there will be weather, there will be roadblocks, there will be detours. There will be all kinds of things that force me in the moment to take a different path. So I have to adjust my strategy, even though the vision doesn't change. But the thing that we've got to pump into people that we're leading today is vision. Mm -hmm. They've got to know that there is hope on the other side of this. And this is not all bleak. I mean, people's mental health is being affected right now. And we can be, we can be difference makers as leaders. Mm. Well, Michael, we have this tradition here where we, juxtapose principles of, of what we call love in action. Obviously, it's in the title of the podcast. It's, it's leadership love in action. And we, we put that up against its counterpart, which I feel is fear. And here we are, it's 2020, and fear is still prevalent in how organizations and businesses are, are run, are managed. But in my line of work, perhaps yours as well, I, you know, I, I get into the research and I, I keep finding evidence that principles and behaviors of love and care. And, and now every time there's a crisis, I find empathy skyrockets. Everybody now is in the empathy game, right? But then things get back to normal and, and we're, we're back to the short-term, uh, very fear-based model of just kind of the, 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 the carrot principle. Um, and so my question is, we see the behaviors of care and love lead to high performance. 
And we yep. see it lead to business outcomes. For you, you are now, you know, you, you have your own company and you have a, a, you had a, a previous executive position at, at Thomas Nelson. In practical and actionable terms, let's spell this out to today's leaders. So speak from personal experience. What does love in action mean to you? Well, first of all, one word, service. Mm. You know, for me to love my customers well means I have to serve them well. For me to love my team well means I have to serve them well. I don't know of anything more practical in the workplace than love. Here's why. Your culture, the culture that you're creating as a leader in your company, is the unseen force that drives operating results. This is why in big corporations and small corporations, leaders get frustrated because they can't seem to make progress. They're bumping up against their own culture. So I hear leaders complain about the fact that, you know, I just can't get alignment in my organization or people don't seem to be engaged. Well, it really starts with us as leaders creating an environment, a culture where people flourish. So like in our own organization, for example, last year, we grew 60%. We grew 60%. We've been on the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing companies. Yet, we insist that our people don't work more than 40 hours a week. We give them unlimited PTO, pay time off. Now, why would we do that? Because it's one of the three drivers that Daniel Pink says that's required for high performance in his book, Drive. So that's to have a perceived sense of relative auto autonomy. By the way, we've never had that policy abused we still have to beg people to take time off. Even in the midst of this coronavirus, in the first week, I mean, we moved at lightning speed. We were working 12 to 14 hours a week. It was in the middle of a crisis. We said, what do we have to offer to the world? How can we put love into action with our customers? Well, the thing I dispense is leadership guidance and leadership wisdom. So we put, to, put together a course called Leading Through Crisis. We did it in a week. We had it up and we were already promoting it. But our team was exhausted. After a week, we were exhausted. So just a few days ago, as the time we're recording this, a few days ago, um, we made the decision as an executive team. We said, we're going to move from a 40-hour work week to a 30-hour work week because it's clear we're in a marathon. We're not in a sprint. Well, how do my people respond to that? When I say to them, you guys are working too hard. We want to take care of you. You need to ratchet it down. They love that. Now, I, I shouldn't be telling you this. We're not supposed to be saying this out loud, but we were just um, actually it wasn't publicly announced, but it was announced to us that we made the, the ink list for the best workplaces to work. Now that came from my employees who said this is a phenomenal place to work. So even though we're high performance, our sales are growing like crazy. You know, on average, I think over the last three years, we grew 178%, but at the same time, we're taking care of our people. Yeah. Every, every three years, we give them a 30-day paid sabbatical. This is the kind of thing where, you know, it's love in action. You take care of your people. They will take care of your customers and your customers will take care of you. Yeah. If you don't take care of them, if you try to lead through fear, if you sort of be, you know, an onerous overlord, how are they going to respond to your customers? They got to have it modeled from you. It starts with you. Yeah. Can you get into the psychology behind, not that you don't have a PhD as far as I know in, in no. any kind of psychology, but get into the mindset of the leader that does perhaps manage through fear and control. Why do you think yep. they do it? I, I think it's for one reason. Mm. They have a scarcity mindset. They're, they're living in fear themselves because they're afraid that they're going to lose something. Like you talk to these leaders that like, well, no way I would give my uh, workforce unlimited PTO. Why? 
because they're going to take something from me. They will abuse that. They will steal from me. It's all the same people that in this environment are saying, oh my God, I can't imagine that this remote work thing is going to work because if I'm not looking over people's shoulders, how will I know that they're really working? They're just going to goof off. So it's a worldview. It's a worldview of scarcity. It's a worldview that comes out of fear. Now contrast that with a worldview that says, um, I, I believe that the world is abundant. There's plenty for everyone. There's more where that came from. People can be trusted. You know, I've been doing a remote team and now we're kind of semi-remote or at least we were up until recently, but I've been doing remote work with my team now for eight years and it's been phenomenal. My people are hyper-focused. They're super productive. They're not distracted by a lot of the stuff that happens in the typical workplace. Do I watch over their shoulder? No, I could care less because I'm holding them accountable for results not for time sitting in the seat. I don't care if it takes them three hours a day or 10 hours a day. I prefer that they not work more than eight hours a day because I want them to have a, take care of their health and their family and all the rest. But it's just amazing what happens when you take that posture and leadership as opposed to you know the carrot on the stick approach which you talked about. Yeah, yeah. This is unscripted. So I'm gonna just throw this out because you mentioned eight years working with remote teams. Well before this whole crisis, forced everyone to go remote. So for those of us that are just now, you know, still acclimating, how do leaders help engage their workers who are now forced to, for the first time, perhaps, um, you know, yeah. work, work from their bedrooms in their pajamas, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a great thing. You know, there's so, so like, a, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you and I have a nice shirt on and then I'm wearing shorts, but you can't see that, right? Right. So yeah, that's, that's true for everybody right now. So uh, I would say this, uh, first of all, I think you've got to set the expectation. So if your team has never worked remotely, I think what you've got to say is, hey guys, you know, I'm not sure we made this clear in the past, but we're holding you accountable for results. How you get those done in the current crisis when you've got little kids at home and, you know, all the distractions from that, that's totally up to you. It's going to be very different for me as an empty nester uh, than it's going to be for one of my daughters working for the company. Like one of my daughters has five kids at home right now. So, you know, she's very busy. So what that means is as a business owner, as an entrepreneur or a leader, you've got to have a lot of flexibility. You got to not care about how much time people are spending in the seats, but what they're actually producing. So set that expectation, have some empathy and compassion and tell people that they got to tell you what they need. So if somebody can't make a meeting because the kids are underfoot, or if they've got to be on a video conference while they're holding one of their kids, yeah. that's got to be okay in this current environment. I mean, that's what love and action looks like in this current yeah. environment. Then I think you have to not only set the expectation, but provide the right tools. So I'm going to give you two tools that I think are invaluable for, and this comes out of years of remote work. Mm. First of all, forget email. Email's not fast enough. It's too hard to get back to conversations. And the thing that we use and love is Slack. Yeah. So Slack's a great example. I write about it in the book, The Vision Driven Leader. I talk about how uh, that's an amazing story of a tiny company that went bankrupt and then did a pivot or did a vision zag and was able to resuscitate itself and become Slack. Amazing story. But uh, Slack is a great internal communication tool, especially in a time like we're in right now. Then the other thing I would suggest is do video conferencing. The, the temptation is going to be, most leaders, frankly, are poor communicators, even in good times. You've got to be a better communicator right now than you, than you had to be. You've got to step up your game. You've got to go to the next level because people need connection. They need to see your face. They need to hear your tone of voice. They need to watch your facial expressions. All of that creates, assuming that you're calm, 
creates calm, creates reassurance, creates encouragement. So you got to communicate more, not less. Video conferencing software like Zoom, we've been using this now for four or five years. Amazing platform. We use it for webinars. We use it for meetings with our coaching clients. We use it in meetings, you know, one-on-one meetings like this, group meetings, executive meetings. But then I would also say, so let me see, exceptions, tools, and then I would create a kind of cadence or meeting rhythm. What kind of meeting rhythm do you want to have in the current crisis? So for example, my executive team is doing a video conference every other day, just because things are changing so rapidly. Sometimes it's a five minute meeting, sometimes it's a one hour meeting, but we allow an hour and we just connect. We wanna do the same thing, we're doing it this afternoon with our entire team because we want them to hear from us in the midst of the situation. We don't want their mind running you know, amok with the worst case scenario, with catastrophizing, with wondering, you know, if we're thinking about layoffs, we speak directly to that and we tell them exactly what the score is. We're very transparent, but very direct with them. Mm. I love all those examples. So I feel like I got a, we got a bonus segment here with all of those remote uh, ideas. And yes, it's, it's love and action remotely because we have, we have pivoted. So thank you for that. Now, before I transition and bring it home with my final two questions, I want to, I want to make sure that there's an action item behind going from a culture or a leadership or a management style of fear to one of love. Is there a first step, whether it's personally as a leader or organizationally in your culture where you can do the shift? Well, I, I really think it's really simple. And I think, again, it goes back to vision. One of the reasons why my company has a phenomenal culture, so much so that we got named to the Inc. list of best workplaces to work, is because my oldest daughter, who's our COO and I, we about five years ago sat in a hotel room in Chicago where we'd been to a conference and we took another half day for planning. And we said to ourselves, what would make this an amazing world-class culture that was so awesome that the most talented people in our neck of the woods in Nashville, Tennessee, would be clamoring to come to work for us. And so we began to imagine what would the attributes of that kind of culture be? You know, for example, we said to ourselves, okay, we want to pay 100% of healthcare. We want to give unlimited paid time off. We want to have a 401k. I mean, we went just right down the list. And this is the funny uh, thing, Marcel. We said, let's build a sales page at our company. And you can find this, by the way, at michaelhyatt.com slash careers. Think of it as a sales page that we're going to use to try to get people that we're trying to recruit to sign up so that we have more applicants than we know what to do with. So for every position that we offer right now, that when you go out to the marketplace and are offering new positions, and we're even hiring in this environment, we typically get 100 to 150 applicants, qualified applicants. And that's because we try to create a sales page that was super attractive. But what's behind that is the kind of culture that we knew would attract people. And so I think it begins as a leader by saying, what would not serve us? I mean, ultimately it does. That's a great thing about it, right? But, but what would really serve the people that we want to serve? If, if, in other words, if I'm committed to what I call the double win, which is winning at work and succeeding at life, I've got to help my employees, my teammates get the double win. How can I help them live a balanced work life, you know, balance? How can I help them do that? What would the company have to look like to support that? And then just build it. It's been a rich conversation and we end our episodes with two final questions for our guests to speak authentically to you. Michael, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? 
Man, I am spending so much time, Marcel, with my coaching clients right now, meeting with them an hour a day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, because what I'm so passionate about is I really believe that entrepreneurs are the solution. They're the solution Mm -hmm. in normal times. They're the solution right now in the midst of this crisis. You know, I'm glad our federal government is doing what it's doing. I think they're taking the right steps. And overall, there's been some missteps, but they've quickly course corrected. And overall, I think they're doing an amazing job. I think there are amazing nonprofits out there. But if we're going to survive, not just the public health challenge, but now the looming economic challenge, it's going to be entrepreneurs who survive. That, that's why I'm counting, not just on my own team, but I'm counting on the people that are listening to this that are entrepreneurs to come through this crisis, to make the extra effort, to be innovative and creative because the economy depends on the engine of your company continuing to work so that my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, and all of your great-grandkids will have a future to look forward to. So I, I think this is the moment for entrepreneurs, for leaders to rise up as an army and really deliver the future that uh, all of us need and want. There is so much hope, inspiration, and empowerment in what you just said, Michael. Thanks for that. And you get to end it your way with one final takeaway from your book that will make our difference in our lives. Well, I talk about this in the book with regard to vision, but let me just say with regard to the crisis and for vision too. And I'm speaking directly to you who are listening. You've got what it takes. This moment is going to bring out the best in your leadership if you let it. Sometimes it brings out the worst in people, but I'm counting on you for you to let it bring out the best in you. I'll tell you what, I would never want to repeat what I went through in the Great Recession, but I'm going to tell you something else. I wouldn't trade it for millions of dollars mm. because I learned things about my own leadership. I was able in that situation by the grace of God and the help of executive coaches and other people to become a leader that I wasn't before I started. I developed new capabilities, new skills, saw the importance of connecting with people and loving them and serving them well. All of that would have never happened if it hadn't have been for that difficult time. That's what's going to happen here. You're going to look back on this years from now, and this, this should be your goal, to look at this years from now and say, wow, the leader I was emerging from that crisis, vastly different from the leader that went into it. Thank God. I wouldn't want to repeat it, but I wouldn't trade it. It was an amazing experience. My company's better. I'm better as a result of it. That's speaking to my heart as well. I appreciate that. Michael, if people want to connect with you, how can you do that? And throw that website down one more time for us. Yeah. So the best way to connect with me is at michaelhyatt.com. So everything related to my business coaching program, our full focus planner, all my products, podcasts, et cetera, all there at michaelhyatt.com. And the page that we've built for your audience, Marcel, is visiondrivenleader.com slash core. Perfect. And I'll have that in the show notes for listeners for you to grab that and go to that website. He is Michael Hyatt. And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. A couple of takeaways from my chat with Michael Hyatt. If you're launching a new business or you know, experiencing those growing pains or even trying to save your business, you've got to stay plugged into the vision. That should be your whole purpose for why you do what you do. It's what's going to carry you forward. And, you know, vision is also the essential ingredient of a leader. If you're missing it, 
I got to be honest with you, you, you may not be running on all cylinders or really know where you're headed. So vision is what's going to steer you where you want to go. Michael calls it your own personal power generator. My special thanks to Michael Hyatt and you for joining the Love in Action movement. If you missed any episode, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To get the show notes for today's episode or any episode, visit my website at marcelschwantes.com and click on the Love in Action podcast tab. Join me next week when I sit down with Matthew Immersion, author of the new book, You Matter, Learning to Love Who You Really Are. Until then, don't forget, love in action. It's what will truly set your leadership apart. The choice is yours. Hey, Love and Action Nation. If you're enjoying the format of the show and the topics we talk about, and you want to bring this conversation to your company event or conference, I would love to explore the possibilities. Whether it's speaking or moderating a live discussion or a Q&A panel, or even producing a series of podcasts before and after your event, let's talk. You can reach me by email personally at Marcel at loveinaction.club. That's Marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L, at loveinaction.club.